The white prison guard appeared uncomfortable with the idea of allowing these three men to converse alone. A motley collection they made. On one side of the table, the young Negro prisoner, thin arms jutting through his too big striped prison shirt, hair in need of a trim. On the other side, a short white attorney, gray hair slicked back with a lotion the guard could surely smell even from so many feet away. And beside him, the wild card, the attorney's assistant, tall and nearly as old as the attorney, white hair at his temples, but skin the same color as the prisoner's, though a shade lighter. Who had heard of a Negro working with a white attorney like this? Arthur Bishop, the salt-and-pepper-haired man in question, began to worry that the guard suspected he was there under false pretenses. In which case, the guard was right. Atlanta did in fact have some Negro attorneys, but they were fewer in number than Negro doctors or Negro dentists, Negro business owners or Negro insurance men. In fact, Bishop would have bet Atlanta had more Negroes running million-dollar businesses, Atlanta Life Insurance Company, Atlanta First Credit Union, the Colored Hair Care Emporium, etc., than Negro lawyers. It wasn't that colored folk couldn't learn the law. The problem was that no one wanted a Negro lawyer representing them. If you were on trial for theft or murder or assault in the South, the only thing a Negro lawyer would do for you is incur the wrath of white judges who couldn't stand the sight of a dark-skinned man speaking in measured tones about statutes and jurisprudence and whatnot. Better to have colored folk check your heart and your teeth and your bank accounts but let a white man defend you if, God forbid, you ever found yourself at the mercy of a white jury. Which is why Randy Higgs... 23 and soon to be on trial for rape, was being represented by a well-born T. Kirk, whose skin could not have been more pale had he spent the last ten years in a North Georgia cave. Despite his courtly name, he hailed from a small firm that represented more than its share of indigent clients. We'll be all right, Joe, Kirk told the suspicious guard. If he manages to break those chains, I'll holler real loud, all right? Joe shook his head. Your funeral, you got 15 minutes. Nah, Joe, I believe I get an hour for visits like this. And Kirk, still standing, shuffled through the papers he'd already laid across the desk. Filled out the L5 paperwork right here. He offered a manila folder to the guard. Bishop could just barely spot the tip of a five-dollar bill sticking out. Joe's beefy face appeared bored, perhaps even mildly insulted, as he took the folder, opened it, and pretended to read through the complex legal jargon of the L-5. Then he handed it back to Kirk, minus Abe Lincoln. Sixty minutes, then. The white guard walked away, and positioned himself in the far corner, leaving the three of them sitting at that long table bisecting the narrow room. Along one side were the visitors, the attorneys, and relatives, 
and on the other side sat the doomed in their striped clothes and funk of twice-weekly showers. One hour is not long as these kinds of interviews go, Bishop said. He had already checked the space for microphones, spotting none. And the lack of a two-way mirror left him slightly reassured. Still, they needed to keep their voices low so as not to be overheard. Bishop had, in his many days as a journalist, sat in even less hospitable places than this. He had conducted interviews in backyard shacks, at roadside work camps, at crime scenes, and in combat zones across several states and abroad. Still, prisons made him enormously uncomfortable in ways this white lawyer could not appreciate. We'd best begin... Bishop wore a brown tweed jacket over a tan shirt and red tie. Not his best attire by a long shot, 